Good evening, and welcome back to another episode of Raven Investigates. Halloween is supposed to be the scariest time of the year. However, for some, the truth becomes much more terrifying than the legends that surround the holiday. Tonight, we will be looking at four horrifying murders that took place on Halloween night. In 1998, Halloween in the Bronx was just like every other year. Everyone was lively with the spirit of the holiday, and while there were some troublemakers, that was nothing new to the area, nor the time of the year. On this Halloween night, Carl Jackson and his girlfriend were on their way to pick up their nine-year-old son from a children's Halloween party. Carl was a fairly quiet person in his own nature, and made it a point to typically avoid Halloween events, mostly because he considered the things that people did for said holiday to be dangerous. Unfortunately, that belief proved to be accurate for this young man. While Carl was driving down the road with his girlfriend, his car was spotted and marked by a prankster, who then proceeded to throw eggs at the vehicle. Egging cars is absolutely a malicious thing to do, but most years, this would have been a fairly benign prank. It would have led to a few angry people, sure, a pricey cleaning bill, and then neither party would likely ever think about it again. Sadly, this night was not the norm. When the teenager egged Carl Jackson's car, he was infuriated, as anyone would be. He exited the vehicle and began to argue with the 17-year-old about the egging. Carl said what he had to say to the kid, and then, after he felt the message had come across sufficiently, he went back to his car and sat back down in the passenger seat. It was then that one of the egg throwers took his fairly harmless prank too far, and he let his anger get the best of him. The thrower got in his own vehicle and pursued Carl and his girlfriend for several blocks. After a while, the attacker got out of the vehicle, pulled a gun, and shot Carl once in the head, killing him instantly. This simple prank led to cold-blooded murder in the matter of a few minutes, ending the life of an intelligent man and father and removing him from the lives of those that loved him with little to no logic behind the actions. Curtis Sterling, the man that pulled the trigger, was 17 at the time, and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Carl's mother still sends Curtis a Halloween card in the mail every year that reads, I'm glad you're still there. In 1957, Peter Fabiano, then 35, 
was a hairstylist in Los Angeles. He was married to Betty and had a young daughter named Judy. At this point in time, Betty and Peter had been married for a while after having met in 1948, not too long after Betty had divorced her first husband. Now, like any married couple, Peter and Betty had their issues. Issues that, at one point, led to Betty temporarily moving in with her friend, Joan Rabel. Joan Rabel was born in Philadelphia in 1917 and had worked hard to garner a name for herself as an author and photographer, even having gone sailing around the Americas. She came into the picture in 1957 when she arrived at Peter's salon and asked for work after her recent divorce. From here, Joan and Betty became good friends, and Peter and Betty welcomed her into the family. When Betty moved in with Joan, Peter began to feel threatened by how close they were with each other, their relationship being described as abnormal, which, in the 1950s, was typically code for them being homosexual. After a while, Betty and Peter reconciled their marriage. Betty confessed to having an affair with Joan, and the couple decided that their best course of action would be to move forward, and Betty would break it off with Joan. Around the time of this happening, Joan met Goldine Pizer, and the two of them became fast friends, spending virtually all of their free time together. It was also reported that Goldine had recently found herself as being gay, which was a feeling that she had repressed for a number of years while married. During small talk between these two friends, it was mentioned by Joan what had happened with Betty and Peter. Joan was heartbroken, and was clearly devastated about what happened with Betty. And she wanted revenge. Her revenge plot began with her seducing Goldine. On Halloween night, a pair hid outside of Peter and Betty's home in a car that they had borrowed from a friend. They waited until the two of them had gone to bed, and then Goldine approached the house with a superhero eye mask on. When Peter heard the doorbell at around 11pm, he assumed it was nothing more than a late-arriving trick-or-treater. What ended up waiting for him on the other side of the door was actually Goldine with a 38 Smith & Wesson. Peter was shot dead on his front doorstep that night by the newfound friend of his wife's jealous ex-lover. When later asked why she went through with it, Goldine responded, I had no motive, personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I've been impressionable and always trusting. On Halloween night of 2008, deep into Sumter, South Carolina, the night seemed to be going on as normal. Children were trick-or-treating, adults were handing out candy, and everything was going as everyone expected. However, in one of the homes sitting with its porch light on, sat a man named Quentin Patrick. Quentin, who was 22 at the time, 
was a convicted felon with a number of past drug convictions. Just ten months prior to this night, Quinton had been shot in a robbery by a rival drug dealer, which led to him being paranoid and thinking that someone was going to come and finish the job. This mix of drug-induced paranoia, fear, a touch of craziness, and the town filled with children walking door-to-door for candy was almost the perfect storm for something to happen. And, unfortunately, it did. That night, 12-year-old Tony Derisol was returning home from a Halloween party with his brothers and father. And, on the way home, they had decided that they would do some trick-or-treating and score some extra candy. One of the houses on the way back was Quentin Patrick's. At around 8.30pm, Tony, his 9-year-old brother Amadre, and his father Freddy saw Quentin's porch light on, and they assumed that he was handing out candy, just like everyone else. They walked up to the door and knocked like they had several times prior. On the other side of that door was Quentin, who was frightened by the knocking and the masks. He then grabbed an AK-47 and took aim at the door, pulling the trigger and unleashing over 30 rounds. All three were hit. Amadre and his father only once, but sadly, Tony was hit multiple times and was mortally wounded. By the time the police arrived, Quinton realized that he had made a mistake and he surrendered himself to the cops. When they entered the home, they found $7,500 and four ounces of cocaine. Quinton was charged with murder, dealing cocaine, attempted murder, and the illegal possession of a firearm. However, in an almost sickening twist, the judge agreed with his defense attorney that Quentin didn't intend to kill Tony Derisaw, despite the fact that he unloaded the entire 30-round clip through the door without hesitation. This was not enough to get him off the charge, thankfully, and he was sentenced to 16 years in prison for voluntary manslaughter, a sentence that was actually increased after appeals and various retrials. All the way up, to 30 years for the murder, and an additional 16 for the weapons charge. When Maria Cialella, a young and energetic 17-year-old girl, went out trick-or-treating on Halloween of 1981, she may have expected to run into something scary but it was unlikely she could have ever imagined the real monster that she would run into. It was 6pm when she told her father that she was going to go out for the night, and would be back before midnight. The night went on, and Maria hadn't returned home by the promised time, so her parents left the window open so she could still get into the house, but decided to go to bed. When they woke up in the morning they realized that she hadn't made it back yet, and immediately contacted the police. From there, they were informed that an officer on patrol had actually seen their daughter walking towards her home on Route 88, less than two miles away from the house. 
He said that he was on a radio call at the time, but when he went back to see if she needed a ride less than 10 minutes later, she was nowhere to be seen. This is where the case hit a brick wall for two years. There was no information, no leads, no witnesses. Over the two years, her parents hired private investigators and even psychics to see if they could help find any information about their daughter. At the end of these two years, however, a seemingly unrelated case hit a lead that no one anticipated. Anna Marie Oleszewicz's body was found behind a Burger King on Route 35 and Sunset Avenue. Anna was another girl that had gone missing seemingly out of nowhere, and her father was also doing everything he could to find her. Once this body was found, a woman named Teresa Smith went to the police and told them about her ex, Richard Biegenwald. She told them that he was the man that had killed Anna. She then also told them that he would take people at random and kill them just for the thrill of it. Then, the police started looking into Richard's past, one that was clearly full of criminal activity. When Richard was 18, he lived with his mother on Staten Island and stole a car with a friend. They then drove to New Jersey where they stopped at a grocery store and murdered the clerk and then stole $100. Two days after, they were pulled over in Maryland for speeding and they shot at the officer as he approached the vehicle. Later, that same situation played out again. They were pulled over and they attempted to shoot the officer. However, this time it ended differently. They missed the officer and were eventually apprehended. While they were in custody, Richard's friends told the officers about the clerk they had murdered and they were both charged with the crimes. Richard faced life with possibility of parole. However, he only served 17 years of that sentence. From here, he worked odd jobs and attempted to live a normal life. He then met Teresa, the aforementioned ex. They got engaged, much to the disappointment of her parents. Richard was then arrested again in Brooklyn on charges of rape and also for not reporting to his parole officer appropriately. However, the victim failed to identify him in the lineup, and the initial charges were dropped. After this, and serving only six months for his parole violation, he was released and moved into an apartment with Teresa in Asbury Park, New Jersey. After learning of all this through Teresa's tip, the police searched his home and found a lot. Pipe bombs, pistols, machine guns, knockout drops, a puff adder snake, and floor plans for various businesses. When the police arrested him, he confessed to everything, going as far as showing them the body in his own garage, and telling them that he killed for business reasons. After more talking, Richard ended up showing the police the location of more bodies, including bodies that were buried in his own mother's backyard. This is where this story comes full circle. One of the bodies was found buried in his mother's yard was that of Maria Cialella. She had been kidnapped, murdered, 
and subsequently dismembered by Richard. She was then buried in a shallow grave with another girl at his mother's home. In 1983, he was found guilty of his crimes and was sentenced to death, and also several life sentences. His execution never occurred, however, and he died in prison in 2008. And while he did serve some time for his crimes, and these families do have some closure, it is suspected that there are more victims of Richard Biggenwald's out there to this day that have never been uncovered. So this was a collection of horrifying murders that took place on Halloween night. Halloween is supposed to be a night for tricks and treats, ghosts and goblins, and scary things of the sort. Unfortunately, this night can lead to terror and tragedy just as well. If you enjoyed this video and would like more like this, please do consider subscribing to this channel as I am working on content like this and much, much more. Also, consider hitting that thumbs up button to help the channel grow and leave me a comment letting me know your thoughts. As always, I hope you have a lovely night and I hope to see you next time. Until then, happy Halloween and keep your eyes open.